there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Time for Advanced Medicine Monday, and this one's pretty intense. Uh, my dear friend and co-host each week here, Dr. Rachid Batar is back to lay it on the line. Dr. Batar, my friend, thank you for being here as always. Oh, wouldn't miss it, Robert, for the world. Yeah, listen, you know, we've done lighthearted topics, we've done intense topics, and we've done them all the way in between. Obviously, everybody's sitting on pins and needles waiting for perspective on the tragedy last Friday. Uh, that happened up in Connecticut. And I know this is not something we want to dwell on because it's emotionally tough. It's negative. It's not, you know, it's not uplifting yet. Yet. I think we have a duty and an obligation with what we're doing here to point out when these things happen, what really are the sources of the problem as opposed to just chasing the symptoms? Would you agree? I would, Robert. And I would also agree with you that, uh, that it is important to bring it up, even though I don't know anything about this story. Um, except for what you and I talked before we got in the air, I have on purpose made it a priority in my own life to abstain from information that is not uplifting, at least in the last few years. I, I don't watch the news because it is all fear-mongering. It's always the negative aspects. Um, and it's really not, besides the fact that it's not true, it's not even accurate because I talk mm-hmm. about the death rate like, this is obviously a horrendous thing. I, I don't know, 20-some people died, right? 26 people, 20 children, yeah. And, and uh, you know, no one would would doubt. It's just horrific. And, I mean, as a parent, thinking about this, it's just, it's hard. It's it, The heart hurts for those that lost their loved ones. Yet, as I said, duty-bound, I believe, to, to point out the things that would precipitate this, so ra- rather than those with interest, for instance, to disarm the population, uh, which would do nothing but allow f- just the criminals to have guns, and the criminals also include those in government. Well, you're absolutely right, and that's the whole point that I wanted to make was that, you know, we talk about these 27 people that have died, which is obviously a tragedy, but what about the thousands and thousands of higher percentages of Mm -hmm. people that are dying every day, kids, because of vaccine reactions, because of pharmaceuticals, which the media never covers, and I'm not trying to, you know, please don't make the mistake of thinking that I'm trying to downplay the death of these 27. No, 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 not at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, so many more that are dying that the media never covers mm-hmm. and that are being named. And, and I, I would say that the ideology of the death of these 27, the hands uh, at which they died, I would bet you it comes back to the same causation. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I would I – would, if I was a gambling person, I would bet $10,000 that this kid was on some type of neuroleptic, some type of antidepressant combination, something. You know, whether it's yes. Prozac, Paxil, whatever. Mm-hmm. I would suspect that – as you mentioned before we got on the air, you know, this kid's 20 years old. So you know that he was born after the 1991 uh, National Vaccine Initiative because that, that started in 1991. It's 2013 now. So the kids uh, that are 22 years old or younger have all been exposed to that um, exponentially higher level of uh, thimerosal in the vaccines plus all the other additives. So he's in that age group. Yes. Um, 
you know, the list goes on and on. Yeah, and that that for me, this is all the more stunning now as we realize. And I covered yesterday on my show, uh, Doctor Batar Harris Coulter's uh, books and writings on vaccination, social violence, and criminality: the medical assault on the American brain. He recognized it decades ago. And, you know, now we're just talking about this being revisited on potentially any of us or all of us at any time when you flood the body with so much mercury and a whole host of other things. And we know that most of these people are not eating good food to begin with. Anything, anything can happen. We know we've talked about mercury extensively, but this is something that is almost the inevitable outcome. Yet the the focal point is on the gun rather than the person who can can do whose governor is off who's literally got no limits anymore which is a very difficult place to be because even people that are troubled rarely ever take their own lives much less others it takes a lot to to leap beyond people in extreme pain for instance but you know to see this happen and to concern ourselves that the the ignore ignorance within or purposeful ignorance about the vaccine assault and as, as you said all of the deaths and maiming and injuries that have occurred that far not outweigh anybody's death, but in numbers outweigh that by no, sheer numbers, the volume of deaths that are happening that are completely ignored. Yeah, you know, and that's the point. There's there's an agenda behind that that um, lack of putting the appropriate weight on where it should be, and almost creating an illusion. Like you said, this a tragedy. They've now tried to turn it around as uh, uh, almost almost analogous to a false flag event that somebody who's, you know, preparing. I think you mentioned that they, the lady, the mother was preparing in case there would be any type of uh, disaster. And so now there and she had been pro um, armament and, you know, those type of things, which you and I both are. Yes. Uh, and for them to try to switch it and, and play this bait and switch type of game, it again shows that the agenda, whatever it is, is highly suspect. You know, Robert, you and I and many of people that listen to the show and maybe the reason that our show is getting more popular mm-hmm. is because there is that component of being <clears throat> responsible yourself. And to say that a gun kills and to say that a car is a mode of transportation and to not recognize that that car, if you put a drunk behind it, will make a very violent implement of death, which will kill many people. And on the other hand, the gun now some, it suddenly becomes a very important self-defense weapon when you're trying to protect your family. Yeah. So it's not that the gun kills people and the car doesn't. It's that the gun will protect your family and the car which is meant for a mode of transportation now becomes an implement of death based upon the user. It's not the tool. And yet the media's portrayal of the tool always being the evil thing, mm-hmm. and that has nothing to do with the user or the operator, it's just completely socially irresponsible. Sure. And, of course, the physician's uh, surgeon's scalpel, same scenario. I mean, it's an instrument. It's only going to do what the util- utilizer of the instrument knows what to do or does with it. Exactly. And, you know, the father of surgery, which was Sabiston, in the Sabiston's textbook of surgery, which is a textbook of surgery that's bigger than any phone book that you'll see, in the very first chapter, Sabiston actually talks about surgery as being the ultimate admission of failure. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. meaning that it's anybody can do the surgery. It's a post-operative and the pre-operative care that determine the outcome of the patient. And the best surgeons, for anybody who's listening, for the best surgeons that you'll ever meet, they will be the people that will actually try to come up with other options prior to or after the surgery, giving you suggestions before you actually go undergo the knife to see if they can rectify the situation without going in invasively because that is really the sign of a good surgeon. Obviously, if you have to do it, then you need to uh, be able to go in there and do it definitively. But it's almost like a fighter. A fighter never wants to fight unless they absolutely have to or a strong military never wants to engage unless they absolutely have to. But when they have to, then they are very proficient at what they do. Mm-hmm. And this is the same thing with the, with the surgeon. Uh, this is a side note. I didn't want to go off on a diatribe, Robert. But oh, it's, it's fascinating nonetheless. I appreciate that. It's, you know, you just want to know that when you when you're in that situation, the surgeon that immediately wants to go and do oper- operate on somebody is not the surgeon that you want. You always want the person that looks at all possibilities, all scenarios, and and sees if there's other ways to rectify the problem. I mean, obviously, sure. if you've been shot in the belly, you know, you're bleeding out, you're exsanguinating. There's only one way you have to go and you have to operate. But mm-hmm. there are many other times. You know, when in doubt, cut it out and heal with steel are not the mottos that we should be living by right. as surgeons. And yet, that is the prevailing thought process among the surgical profession. I tell you, I'm just thinking about this as we're talking here. Uh, no plans in advance. As you brought, we just brought up surgery. I don't know how that came about. But if I'm going to look at somebody who's a criminal in, in the medical profession, one, I would say people that are doing these radical preventive mastectomies based not on any presence of cancer, but this whole uh, genetic uh, argument for BRCA. But I think even worse than that are these doctors that are still vaccinating in, the, in light in the face of all all of the evidence showing how dangerous it is and all of the evidence that's lacking and showing efficacy that there. And this is the starting point of, as I said, violence against children. It's one thing you could convince an adult because maybe you believe it, but to do this to children that have no option, no choice. Yeah. You know, this uh, book that you sent me information about <clears throat> mm-hmm. by Harris Coulter, you know, the title is so appropriate vaccination, social violence and criminality. And this book was written more than two decades ago, 1993. In fact, it's a, it's a 20-year anniversary, I guess, coming up in a few weeks over here when this book came out on January 1st of 1993. Yes. But it's amazing. You, you're right. I, you know, I've heard of this author before, but it's amazing that he had this much insight that long ago. Yeah, and, you know, this is a guy who was so uh, such an astute observer of history and, and really uncovering the things that would impact on my life. Like, you know, when I had to make my transition from raised medically to reborn homeopathically and holistically, because the whole history of the United States in medicine completely whitewashed, completely changed. You know, as I, I've talked to you about going back to the so-called Civil War museums and learning that the soldiers had homeopathic medicine in all of their medicine kits, not nothing was mentioned ever anywhere. It's as if... Like I said, the power is in those who can control and rewrite the history because they can whitewash out genocide. And suddenly we'll be saying, hey, yeah, we can remove guns from everybody because then we'll all be safer, forgetting that every time that's done in history, the governments then do the genocidal action against the people who were stupid enough to allow the guns to be taken. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Liam Sheff's uh, book where he mentions that, how the the history is remembered by those who control history. It's not really accurate mm-hmm. reflection of what actually happened. It's the it's the basically the portrayal of what actually occurred, which has nothing to do with most of the time, any, anything to do with the facts. It's most of the time 
based upon some type of a twist that they've created in order to have people remember what they what the agenda is for them to remember. And so this thing with the homeopathics that you just brought up, mm-hmm. you know, very, very few people even understand that concept because right now when you look at the homeopathic profession, which is you can go to any health food store, you can actually go to most grocery food stores now and get homeopathics. And yet among the prevailing a thought process in the mainstream medicine, homeopathy, homeopathy or homeopathic medicines are considered to be secondary, tertiary, maybe even quaternary in mm-hmm. priority. And it's like, oh, well, that's just like a, you know old wives' tale. Uh, the, the chelation aspect, for example, mm-hmm. the use of EDT, ethylene dimethyltrexidic acid, as far as a chelating agent to pull out metals and reduce the calcifications so that the atheroma would start to dissolve was an accepted modality of treatment for uh, for people that were suffering from atherosclerosis as far back as in the 1950s. In 1955, 1956, it was even in the physician's desk reference for the treatment, appropriate treatment of atherosclerotic coronary artery disease, atherosclerotic peripheral vascular disease, and atherosclerotic cerebrovascular disease, meaning for atherosclerotic disease, for any type of atheroma formation, for clot formation, for something that today people are dying from uh, myocardial infarctions, heart, you know, people have to have the bypasses done and all these other Mm -hmm. types of surgical procedures. Back then in 1955, 1956, EDTA chelation was in the physician's desk reference as the appropriate method of treatment for heart disease. But then at the, upon the advent of bypass surgery, sometime in the late 1950s, suddenly it disappeared. It disappeared, it yes. It was just desk reference anymore as indicated for heart disease. It was erased from history, from medical history in a modern context. This was 20th century, mid-20th century, and like Harris yeah. Coulter goes back further, that's why this is definitely uh, the conversation that needs to happen here because much like that in the 1990s, even though the identification of the danger of this increased schedule was becoming apparent to many, it was ignored or erased as fast as it was trying to bubble up. So we're going to talk more about this, the conversation that is not happening anywhere else in media around planet Earth. Right now it's happening on the Robert Scott Bell Show, Advanced Medicine Monday. We're doing some medical rewind with Dr. Rashid Batar as we do every week to kick off the week. So we're going to continue with this and more after the break. Great heavens, what kind of radio show is this? The Robert Scott Bell Show. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. All right, Dr. Pitar, I have to ask this as we come back in, second segment here. Uh, the the issue of violence, you know, I talked about it already. We've discussed it. And I think we, are, we agree that medical violence in, in the form of uh, vaccines uh, against these children. Talk to me about what, what, what you've seen behaviorally. I mean, even have you, you know, I mean, I, I've acknowledged this, that even these Asperger's kids are being treated with psychiatric medicines. Well, I think that most people, if they were put in a situation where they are confined physically mm-hmm. and make no mistake that these children that are suffering from these conditions that we've talked about in the autism spectrum delay, they are being confined. They may not be physically being confined, but they're physiologically being confined. Mm-hmm. And many of them 
are aware of what's going on. In fact, one of the first things that I tell parents that are bringing their children for treatment with us is the first thing you're going to see is you're going to start seeing glimpses of the child improving. You will see increase in verbalization, increase in articulation, the number of words in the vocabulary will increase. But from a behavioral standpoint, you will start seeing more aggression most often. You will also start seeing more frustration. You may even see uh, a lot more emotional liability, but the aggression aspect is quite common. Why? Because they are becoming aware of their predicament. They are becoming aware of what's happening to them, and it's frustrating them. It angers them. Mm. And I have seen this time and time and time again. Now, the nice thing is as they're getting better, their response then appropriately changes as well. I mean, I've had children that have been extremely violent at a certain point, and within six, nine months of their treatment, they're actually intervening when dad goes to discipline one of the younger kids, appropriately, you know, but mm-hmm. the, 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 the child that's suffering will end up actually intervening to try to block uh, what, they force, what they see as um, some dis- disciplinary action. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And it's appropriate, of course, but my point is that they go from one extreme to the other extreme. But just imagine if you were put in a straitjacket and you were put in a foreign land that where nobody talked the language that you talked and you didn't understand them, they didn't understand you, you would tend to get very frustrated. If you can't communicate and you can't physically move, sure. you're, you're constrained. You know, you don't have to be in a straitjacket to be constrained. And my, my point being here is that these kids are chemically being restrained. Right. And to them. It angers them. And um, I am not surprised that some of them will actually lash out in this manner. Chem- it's like, a, as you said, a chemical straitjacket, heavy metal straitjacket. And this is something that I don't know if, if, if the medical profession, certainly the psychiatric profession, knows what to do to deal with it because they seemingly always go right to the most harmful of the medicines outside of vaccination are these, these psychiatric drugs. You're absolutely right, Robert. And and the psychiatric drugs are not only uh, not only um, detrimental in what they're doing to the brain chemistry. It's actually what it the, the entire cascade that it initiates. It's almost like a domino effect. Mm. So there are so many other components that will, if not immediately downstream, will have such an incredible negative impact on the physiology you can't even fathom what this is doing i mean for example there's so many neurotransmitters that we're dealing with we have no idea that many of these neurotransmitters not only are in our brain but they're actually also within the mesenteric plexus Mm. remember the gut is where the second brain is you probably heard that robert it's affecting those neurotransmitters. So the gastrointestinal tract of these children with autism that are being chemically deranged, it's affecting their guts. And so it's no wonder that they have significant dysbiotic flora. They have abnormal short-chain fatty acid metabolism. They have leaky gut syndrome. They have yeast overgrowth. They have all these other weird things that are going on with their gut. It's because of all the neurochemical ups and downs and peaks and troughs that are being created and the extremes that are they're being pushed into not only the neurotransmitters in the brain but also in the gut but who is in the media t- 
talking about it this way. Nobody that we've heard in the mainstream media. It's just not happening. There's no discussion of vaccines. There's no discussion of even the antibiotics that all of these autistic you know, spectrum kids are put on because they don't know how to manage these chronic infections, the damage that's already there. So they continue to destroy them even further. And then, of course, they go to the psychiatric medicines. I want you to hear this uh, media psychiatrist that was on CNN just the other day and what she's suggesting here. It's so horrific. You've got you've got to hear this, Dr. Batar. Let me play that right now. A number of decades ago, we were very fearful that people would be thrown into a hospital just because they were different. We wanted to protect them, so we enacted all sorts of laws to protect people. We've gone too far in that direction. Now we have to face the reality and acknowledge that we have to step up our work getting people into treatment when they need it and letting doctors make those decisions, not just lawyers and judges. Yeah, I... You know, I, I actually agree with that, Robert. I think that, you know, you should start letting me make this decision. And I think that the first thing I would do is put the people like Offit into, uh, yes. into medical treatment programs because they certainly need to be. In fact, the first medical treatment that I would recommend is inoculation of the vaccine that he developed. Yeah, ex- well, that's exactly right. I mean, th- but this is the thing. It's chilling because they're talking now about going back to the time when if somebody was different, they put them in jail or put them in straight jackets, literally physical straight jackets, because they were afraid something might happen. Uh, yeah, it's amazing that the way she attributes this to uh, we've gone too far in the extreme. Never mind the fact that we have pushed society into that extreme. We as a society have pushed, uh, pushed society into that extreme. It has nothing to do with the fact that these drugs have allowed people to have liberties that they shouldn't have had. It's the fact that we've taken the drugs and then we've added vaccines to them and we've added preservatives and food colorings and, and genetically modified foods. And the list goes on and on to the point that the human biological physiological machinery is no longer to, able to be even functioning in the, in a even remote way that it should be mm-hmm. and its compensatory mechanisms then cause it to respond in a manner that's not favorable to like this phd or whoever she was yeah, and so now you start to blame it back on the fact that oh we've uh, made our requirements too lax it yeah, has right. nothing to do with that it has to do with all the toxicity and poisonings that we're doing to our society. Yeah, this is what saddens me so that anybody that does still watch the old media and CNN and gives it any credence, and it could be any of those networks, when they when they you know, basically is high-paid media doctors. They're basically, uh, I don't know if they couldn't, do, couldn't cut it in their own profession, that they just become the ones that just speak about these things. But this is something that all of this story, the tragedy of this shooting and all the others, always related back to the psychiatric drugs, and they are loath to mention it. They don't utter a word about it. The things that we're discussing here, and, you know, it gets it's it's much worse than this. We're only scratching the surface here. But that's why I wanted to get a sense for you that I think one of the most important things we did just just moments ago when you talked about the violence of coming out of the damage of vaccines. And immediately, if you're not schooled in what is going on, you immediately say, oh, man, we, we've got to up the psychiatric drug dosage. And that's the, that, that's like jumping right out of the fire pan right into the fire. Mm-hmm. And, and this is indeed what I, I fear we're going to see more of unless we, we step back and actually take control of the messaging. Now, we, can't, we don't have the money to take the, the pharmaceutical ad campaigns to reach out to those old media outlets. But as you said, the popularity and the growth of what we're doing is because I think that they're recognizing that these people are BS artists out there in the old media. They have no idea what they're saying, but they pre- pretend to be experts and they're treated as such by the, the adoring and fawning reporters that couldn't report their way out of a, a wet paper sack. 
Yeah, that's and, that, well, it's dying, and that's why this is growing. I, I completely, completely agree, Robert. And I think the evidence is surrounding us is becoming more and more uh, obvious that people just simply aren't taking the popular media's word for it anymore. They're not taking politicians' words for it anymore. They're not taking the standard doctors words for it anymore they people are starting to stand up for themselves and that's really what the message you what's your message with the show's message with my message has always been is mm-hmm. that people need to take appropriate action and they need to understand that it is their responsibility to make sure they protect themselves and their loved ones it is not up to them to defer that responsibility off to a governmental body or to a, a specific uh, profession mm-hmm. it's it's up to them they can't depend on doctors they have to depend on themselves and then use the doctor as a guide use just like you use an attorney as a guide anybody who walks into an attorney's office and does exactly what the attorney does is going to get exactly what they deserve which is not much because you have to be the one who's directing your attorney mm-hmm. to represent you but if the do- attorney just goes in there and starts saying whatever he wants you're not going to be properly represented but the same thing is yes. true with any profession is the same thing is true with accounting with medicine and when it comes to health you know that is the one thing that is the most important because once health is taken away once your life is taken away everything else you know kind of falls into perspective it does it's all irrelevant after that yes. so so if in the greater scheme of things the most important thing for you to be judicious on for for the public to be judicious upon uh, making sure that their doctors uh, one, they have a good rapport with their doctors, but two, that they are making sure that the doctor is aware of what their personal agenda is of, of health and wellness and not just simply taking the doctor's word for, oh, I just take this medicine and call me in the morning type mm-hmm, of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I was having a conversation earlier with my brother and my sister-in-law, and they were talking about how their doctor in Florida before they moved here was very uh, she was a, she was a traditional pediatrician but she knew of my work and she followed me she knew everything that was going on and her policy was whenever anybody would come into her office I don't even know what her name is I've never even talked to her but apparently she's been following me for the last decade and she had a policy that she would ask people do you want to be treated with the standard um, care of medicine or would you like to be or would you be open to an an integrative or alternative approach and she actually saw my niece who had I had told my brother not to get her inoculated the first my eldest niece and um, against my advice my brother and my sister-in-law got her vaccinated and she lost her ability to speak and they panicked and the, you know, it was early on we started on treatment and within a year she was fine and she's a you know very precocious child and uh, you know, very articulate, et cetera, et cetera. But they went through that that scare. Mm-hmm. And so that pediatrician saw the transition, what happened to the child, what happened after they started the treatment. So she's very, now she's very open and, and accepting. And not only that, she's very enthusiastic with anybody who wants to pursue that uh, opposite side. But uh, during this conversation, we were talking and and Kim, my sister-in-law, mentioned that one of her friends was talking about how frustrating it was for her to go to her doctor and her doctor keeps on pushing her to get vaccinations on her child. Mm-hmm. And so she's now trying to avoid the doctor. She didn't go to the last appointment. The doctor's calling her. They're apparently in some similar social network. And so when she sees the doctor in the social setting, she has to avoid the doctor and the doctor's trying to pursue her to find out why haven't you come in? Why haven't you gotten the vaccinations? And I told her, I said, look, what part of, of the fact that that doctor is 
providing a service to that individual and she can fire him or change him. She doesn't have to listen. And, yeah. and my sister-in-law is looking at me going, exactly, but people just don't get it. And my brother made the point that it's that professional pedestal that the doctor is sitting on mm-hmm. that the individual patient does not want to jeopardize. They think that the doctor knows everything. But I believe that that is changing rapidly. People are no longer trusting their doctors, just like they don't trust the government, just like they don't trust their banker, just like they yeah. don't trust the fiat currency, just like they don't trust their politician. People are becoming more and more aware. That's why gun sales are up. That's why people are, you know, uh, making sure that they do certain things and like, uh, you know, have a, have an emergency supply of uh, food or yes. having extra batteries or wh- whatever the case is. Well, listen, be- being responsible is a threat to those in authority that want us to be dependent upon them. We know that. Listen, we're going to take a break here. Dr. Batar is with us as he is every Monday to kick it off in style. Advanced Medicine Monday. All the archives are available. Hundreds of hours now, I think. Loads of good stuff. You can get it through MedicalRewind.com and iTunes and all those wonderful places. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the real danger. And it's not guns and it's not bullets. But we'll also provide some great solutions to heal, genuinely heal. Stand by with Dr. Batar coming back after this. The Robert Scott Bell Bell Show. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. Who are the real dangers to our children? And, and, you know, if we say children are the danger to the children, it's only because we visited violence upon them medically. And, of course, now they're expanding this, ignoring the real cause of the violence, and also now saying, hey, it's the moms out there, it's the dads out there who are trying to teach their kids self-reliance, responsibility, prepping, my goodness. How about safety and ability to use firearms? That's now the great danger? Dr. Batar, it's, it's insane out there. Well, you know, Robert, then they're essentially by doing so are attacking the Boy Scouts of America. The motto of the Boy Scouts is be prepared. And that's all that these parents are doing. That's all what these people are doing. They're just preparing themselves for a, a possibly a, a bad situation. There's, that's not to say that there's going to be a bad situation, but in case there is, you want to be prepared. Well, if you're going to attack people that are preparing, then it then you're attacking the Boy Scouts of America, which is the biggest, uh, you know, preparedness group. Yeah. I mean, you talk about taking uh, and even the Girl Scouts of America in their form. These things scouting uh, much less. You know, you have served in the military. Many people have now coming back and the government's looking at all the veterans with suspicion. And, uh, you know, it, it it breaks my heart, too, to see how, how they're abused overseas, much less when they come back and also given SSRI drugs instead of detox and chelation. Well, you know, this is one of the methods I think that's being utilized for disarming. And it's not disarming people from their weapons. It's disarming people from their ability to think Mm -hmm. by maiming their thought process. And that is another, in fact, more potent way of disarming. Because the one thing is in America, and I've said this for years, that it's not possible for the things that occur in other countries to ever occur in the United States. Why? Because no other country has the public as well armed as the United States. And for good reason. I mean, it's part of our constitutional rights, the right to bear arms. I mean, that that has been there and was put mm-hmm. there for a reason. And if there was ever an attempt at a coup or at a, uh, you know, what happens in some of these other countries, it just, it, it would be a major, major, poop storm because mm, yes. 
you you would have so many people. I mean, everything from little old late, everybody's armed. And, and then, of course, so many people that are prior military. You think these prior military people don't know what's going on? You've got generations. You've got World War II veterans, Korean War veterans, Vietnam War veterans, Grenada crisis, the, you know, mm-hmm. Honduras. You've got all the, all the different conflicts, the, the Gulf War. Uh, the, you've got so many people that have served in the military, and they know what's happening, and they are not going to put up. And In fact, you look at the military itself. I think I told you, Robert, right about a decade ago. Uh, not quite a decade ago, probably about eight years ago, I got an email. I don't know who it came from. I don't know how they got my name, but it was an email that was just a very obscure little, didn't even recognize where it came from, but it said, remember the oath that you took as a law enforcement and military person to defend, to, to protect and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And domestic was highlighted, underlined, and emboldened. Mm-hmm. Well, why do you think that was? And that was eight years ago because more and more people understand that the enemy that we would be seeing, that the, that the evil, that the uh, uh, opposition is not a foreign enemy. It's not terrorist. It's what's within our own borders. It's that domestic threat. Yeah, it's the willingness to uh, cast off the the constitutional protections that were written in for a very specific reason. Now, you said something very profound. You said maiming their thought processes. And that's what's what's gone on. And there are a lot of reasons for that, including what I would say the government indoctrination centers by erasing history and training people to look to the government for all of their needs. Of course, that's the disaster that ensues one after another. And so that's why they're looking to criminalize those who simply are preparing for the worst. You expect to hope for the best, but prepare for the worst so you're ready. And there's a documentary film that came out a while ago, Psychiatry's Prescriptions for Violence. And I want to uh, give a sense of what that profession has done in maiming our thought processes. Whenever a school shooter is taking a drug, it is, you know, the the press don't get the information. If they ask about it, they're told this is private information. So the public is kept in the dark about the drugging of these kids that leads to this violence. You have to ask yourself, how much help can these drugs be to somebody if they start experiencing these side effects of extreme anxiety, a desire to kill themselves, desire to kill others? How, what kind of help is that for the person? Did you see these kinds of incidences in the 1960s or pre-1960? Was anybody shooting up their classrooms? There were guns. We didn't have as many gun control laws then as we do now. No, we didn't. So what's different? The psychotropic drugs, that's what's different. That's interesting. You know, violence has been around since the dawn of man. We know that, Dr. Pitar. But they weren't shooting up schools prior to the introduction of these massive amounts of psychotropic drugs. There was a book that came out, Prozac. Pandora or Panacea. Yes. I don't remember the name of the author was. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, it's a lady author, and I wouldn't be surprised that last segment that she just played, if that was her, because what she was saying and what the book says is almost synonymous. So it could have been the same lady. But the point is that these drugs that have been introduced into our society in the name of antidepressants, and just think about that. Everybody, if something bad happens in your life or something untoward happens or something you didn't plan, yeah, sure, you're going to be depressed. But to put people on drugs to, to, as a mood elevation, mm-hmm. 
I mean, does that does that even make? I mean, that's what alcohol was developed for. I mean, take it. You know, the only difference is alcohol. You know, is a short-lived uh, panacea, if you want to call it that. I don't drink, so I don't really know what it feels like. But you know, sure, people it may take you, your pain away, but the, you know, it doesn't maim your brain like these psychotropic antidepressant drugs do. Mm. And that's probably the greatest disservice. One of the greatest disservices that the medical profession has provided to society. And if you look at the statistics, one out of every two drugs prescribed is an antidepressant. So 50% of drugs or more that are prescribed are some type of an antidepressant, uh, mm. neuroleptic, antipsychotic drug. That's scary. That really is. And, and where is the pronouncements of that great threat? to all Americans and all American children. It's not there in the old media. That's why we're doing what we're doing here on the United States and World of Health Talk Radio with Dr. Rashi Batar as we do Advanced Medicine Monday every Monday here. And, of course, I would be remiss, especially for all our new listeners, if I didn't remind or tell you for the first time, the international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, is available it's sensational. It lays out what we do every week here, but in a lot of details in certain areas that you will be reading and rereading. And it is something that in this holiday season, not only get one for you, but get one for your doctor, if you have a doctor, and give it to them. That's my sales pitch, even though I'm not supposed to be selling stuff, but I I believe wholeheartedly in what Dr. Batar has written, and I want you to plug into it as well. Listen, we got to take a break here, and when we come back, we're going to wrap it up. We'll see what kind of ailment we can address as well to help you along your way through this holiday season. Stand by. You're listening to The Robert Scott Bell Show. In the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. In addition to the nine steps to keep the doctor away, remember January 25th, 26th in Phoenix, Arizona. Advanced medicine seminars are coming to a neighborhood near you out in the desert southwest. Hope to see you there. We've got the links up at the show notes today at robertscottbell.com. You can go to right to advancedmedicineseminars.com. Check out the calendar. Sign up. A lot of them may be coming to a, uh, not a theater, but a place near you or you're going to want to be or just travel to it. It's going to be awesome. Now, Dr. Batar, we're in the holiday season. A lot of blood sugar questions we get. We got one here about a, a mom. I'm going to read that for you, and, and let's see if we can get a get an answer like we always do from you. From listening to you guys, Beth Ann writes, I know that cholesterol levels can be higher than physicians say, yet be normal and healthy. I also know as people age, their blood pressure will go up due to needing more oxygen, and that's also normal and healthy, and neither one necessarily needs meds. My 84-year-old mother was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. I've had her on chromium, sea veg, cinnamon, modified her diet, but her glucose levels are still high according to the doctors. She says it's around 250 to 275. The meds have not brought her glucose levels down to where the doctors want it, and they say they want to put her on even more meds. And she was on no meds until about two months ago. Tell me, what's the actual glucose range we should be looking at? And uh, she's very appreciative for any help you can give her. Well, again, you can't construe this as medical advice, but I'm going to talk about it as if uh, Robert, you and I are talking. Okay. Uh, you know, one to another about about this topic, and it's important that everybody understand that we can't give medical advice because I don't know all the particulars. But here's the thing. Here are the things that really hit me right off. And Robert, you tell me if you you agree with this. Mm-hmm. The first point that I took from here was 
the lady said that her grandmother was 84 years old, correct? Her mother's 80, 84, yes. Okay. So my first thing is if she got to 84 and she's been on no meds, there's no reason to put her on meds now. That far too reasonable, though. <laughs> they're, they're thinking, man, she's been 84 years without meds. We got to get her quick. Yeah, exactly. Before yeah. before time runs out, right? Yeah, yeah. So so that's the first thing. Now, mm-hmm. 250, 275 is a high sugar level. Mm-hmm. However, one of the ways that doctors will measure sugar levels, glucose levels, is that they make the person go onto a 12-hour fast, and then they draw the blood. My question is, how often is a person fasting 12 hours in our modern day society unless you're doing a detox or you're doing some kind of spiritual mm-hmm. fast people don't fast so why are we doing fasting blood sugars i want to know what is the normal sugar level at a normal time so i never do fasting sugars i just want to see what a person's normal sugar is and if a person's normal sugar throughout the day you know spikes up to 175 160 150 i'm not worried about it because i know it's going to fluctuate now over 250 is you know, that, that is the higher blood sugar. But again, I come back to the first point. If she's 84 years old, why are you going to put her on a medication? Mm-hmm. You know, this lady probably just needs to be given certain advice that, look, have more complex carbohydrates than simple carbohydrates. Yes. Um, you know, you may want – she's already said she's got her own chromium. She's, she's got, got some good things going in. You know, I would add homeopathic uh, lycopodium and iris are the most common that I always give for the pancreas and blood sugar issues. So, I mean, I think this could be a tweaking situation as opposed to resorting to even more drugs. Exactly. Flaxseed oil, some omega-3 fatty oil acids, uh, you know, the – of the EPA type, um, even broad spectrum, you can include the DHA in there, some krill oil, whatever, you know, just making sure you modify the foods a little bit, more complex carbohydrates, reducing more of the simple carbohydrates, having smaller meals, having maybe more frequent meals, and and you're doing everything right. So you certainly don't need to be on any medication, mm-hmm. and then you can just do your own finger sticks and see if the thing's dropping below 200. If she's got a sugar below 200, she doesn't need anything. If she's got over a sugar over 200, then you may want to consider some of these additional things that you're talking about, you know, with these, these nutritional components and being a little bit more rigid with the diet. And, but that's all you need. Add some exercise to it, more water, and that's it. You really don't need anything else. If this was a 40-year-old person – and their sugars are in the 300s, and they're obese, and et cetera, et cetera, then I may suggest some other things. Metformin is is a drug that is one of the few drugs that actually has some physiological enhancement as opposed to physiological impairments, which most drugs act by blocking pathways rather than enhancing pathways. And metformin has been shown to have some uh, longevity components to it, too, from a caloric restriction standpoint. But, you know, that's even in an extreme case. I would suspect that what you've just described as your mother, the 84-year-old, with the, the brief history you just presented, that's mm-hmm. all she needs. She doesn't need anything else. Yeah, Beth Ann, let us know how that goes if you implement any of these strategies that Dr. Batar and I had, had referenced here. And we appreciate all of your questions out there coming in. You can always call in and just leave a message, and we'll play it on the air or not, depending on what you'd like, at 866-939-BELL, 866-939-2355. And, and of course, too, in the coming days and weeks, I'm sure we're going to hear more about the whole shooting issue. I, I think if they're going to be honest, they'll validate a lot of the things we've talked about Dr. Batar, and you know, we may have to revisit this as more comes out. But this has uh, been such an important discussion. 
because it's not happening elsewhere in the media. I mean, people might rage against the drug companies, and, and that's okay. We understand that. But I, I really want to go beyond the rage and go, all right, let's look at this, what we would rather be doing. If we're seeing somebody in that situation, we're going to put them through you know, some major detox, get that mercury out, and start restoring integrity of their entire system. I completely agree, Robert, and I think to revisit this, I don't think it can ever be revisited too much. I think people always need a reminder. I know I need reminders myself, mm-hmm. and um, I'm so I'm sure that you uh, need reminders every so often to make sure that we're on the right path, so I don't think there's anything wrong with revisiting this again. Well, heck yeah, and each week I get reminders from you, so I can't don't go too far astray. <laughs> I get my share of reminders from you, too. <laughs> oh, my goodness. No, no, we have a great time together. I very much appreciate it and always, always look forward to it. Now, uh, we just got a couple of minutes left, uh, and, you know, it's, it's open season on any subject, any topic. Of course, we're going into the holiday things, and we know people will o- overindulge in some things and uh, maybe some strategies to help the liver, some of your favorite things. Can they take a little extra alpha lipoic acid? What do you think going into the holidays? You know, I think that one of the key points for me, and you may not, you may not like this suggestion, Robert. Actually, you pro- you probably will. <laughs> um, I I really cannot overemphasize the importance of two basic things. Now, I have to be, I have to uh, preface this by saying that I am biased, and I make a lot of money from people doing this. Okay, mm-hmm. if I tell you to do this, but sure, exercise. And, and drink a lot of water. Now, I'm going to make a lot of money if you do this. So <laughs> oh, I'm my goodness. Preventing, you know, making sure everybody's open and aware. But if you just do a little bit of exercise and drink a lot of water, especially before you eat, mm-hmm. um, you're not going to be as hungry. You're going to feel better. And exercise is just an elixir. I mean, it really is. It, get addicted to exercise. Even though I hate exercise. People think I love exercise. I actually hate exercise, but I love the way I feel afterwards. True. I love the way I feel afterwards. Yeah. Well, no, it's great. It's basic stuff. And look at all the money you're going to have to pay Dr. Batar for doing it. Like yeah. none. <laughs> I mean, that's the point of it. But that's why you wrote the book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. You weren't kidding. <laughs> I, I didn't know how else to make it so obvious, Robert, but that's exactly that's exactly my yeah, uh, my mission when I wrote that book was to give people specific components so that you know, like the an apple day keeps the doctor away. So I said, mm-hmm. well, let's let's elaborate on that a little bit. Let's give them nine steps, and so and hopefully it. it has kept the doctor away from some people. Well, you did it all so well. Listen, we're out of time, but of course, look forward to next week already. Give us a call, send us your messages or questions, and we'll answer them on the air as, as soon as we can get to them. In the meantime, Doctor Batar, thanks as well for reminding me, and I'm reminding you. That the power to heal is most definitely yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show.